Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior Metal! I like that little uh, heavy metal riff you did there, Adam. <laughs> nice touch. Uh, so welcome to a special extra issue. We are talking about death metal, which is the uh, seminal DC event crossover that changed everything for the millionth time once again. Um, we are, uh, I'm Kalen, by the way, and I'm we've Adam. got, <laughs> and we have a very, we have a very special guest, uh, Jeff Lamarca, who is a longtime friend of mine from Austin, but Jeff, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself. Hey, um, okay, so yeah, I'm Jeff, and I am a longtime DC fan. I, you know, read a little bit outside of the DC Universe stuff, but uh, that's what caught my attention whenever I got into comics, and I kind of stuck with it. Um, and it's not that I dislike any of the other stuff, it's just one of those things where there was a point in life where the floodgates for the DC Universe was too much, and opening up like Marvel or something like that would have been you know, I, I would have had no money in college at all. Uh, so, um, yeah, I've been reading since, you know, the 90s, good old Death of Superman stuff and all that. And uh, um, big, big fan, uh, know way too much about DC Comics. So, Jeff, you're the bizarro version of Clark, or Clark is a bizarro version of you. I feel like if the two of you ever met, uh, the universe would implode. It's like anti-monitor and monitor, because... Clark is only a Marvel fan and then indie stuff too. If he, he said if he touches DC, his mind will explode because he cannot go um, back and like read all that stuff and, you know, learn the history only to see it be revamped over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Adam, I think you're going to make a point. Yeah, I was going to say, this is Amalgam Comics all over again. We'll get Jeff and Clark in a room and then that's how you get a terrible run of stupid mashup comics for a while. <laughs> yeah, like Dark Claw and Super Soldier. Uh, Oh, the 90s. Um, <laughs> all right. So what we're going to do today, we're going to go over a quick synopsis of uh, death metal, and then we're going to have a fun little discussion. So really quickly, uh, described by creators Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, uh, death metal is both a sequel to their metal event as well as an anti-crisis, whatever that means. <laughs> it's a seven-issue miniseries that has the Batman who laughs, aka the Darkest Knight, aka the man who laughs, attempting to recreate the multiverse in his own horrific image. He reshapes the main DC universe into a fantasy novel map with exotic locales such as Castle Bat, Megapocalypse, and Themyscira as a hellscape jail for all the bad guys. And in order to show just how extreme this new universe is, Wonder Woman has a badass new armor and a chainsaw, Batman has a Black Lantern Ling and a moody overcoat, and Superman has his 90s mullet back as well as what looks like leprosy on his right arm. <laughs> Over the course of seven issues, not to mention a plethora of semi-essential one-shots, the good guys ultimately prevail and essentially create hypertime, a concept once created by Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, and Tom Payer that ended up being too bold and controversial for late 90s DC Comics editorial. There isn't just a 52 Earth multiverse or a metaverse as described as dooms in Doomsday Clock, but rather an infinite frontier where every single DC story matters. And Earth Zero is no longer the core of this omniverse, which is now so big that it has two distinct centers an Elseworld and an unnamed world that's sure to be revealed in the next cash-grabbing crossover. All right, so as we normally do on Homo Superior, we have two core questions that we ask for anything that we are reviewing, recapping, et cetera, et cetera. One, why is death metal the best? And two, why is it the worst? And since Jeff, you're our guest, 
you get to tackle why it's the best. We'll go around and then we'll do why it's the worst. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and throw out there that uh, if you've ever watched a video with Scott Snyder talking about comics, about anything that he's writing, uh, his enthusiasm level for it is addictive and makes you want to be passionate about whatever he's writing. I know that that doesn't necessarily translate to why the story itself is the best, but it makes me really want to like it, which there is some value in that, even though um, some of it didn't translate over necessarily, I feel like. Um, and I will say that uh, also some of the, the writers that, um, that did some of the one shots helped make this a really, really good story um, when it could have been not as good. I think that uh, I think that part of Scott Snyder's issue, and this might be jumping into the mm -hmm. for a second. Um, Don't worry, we do is, that too. <laughs> um, that he kind of has a story idea ADHD where he's just like throwing out ideas constantly. And some of them are really cool ideas, but he doesn't spend enough time following up with them. And I think that James Tynion or Tynion, again, I don't know, I, I mix that up all the time, and uh, Joshua Williamson and some of the other writers got to uh, sort of pull some of those ideas aside and write a whole issue on like an individual idea. And some of those were really, really good. So there. Adam, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, yeah, I love that it was mostly a Wonder Woman story. I think that was nice. You don't really get a lot of that, especially in the bigger crossovers, and especially because Metal was much more Superman and Batman story. So it was a nice kind of follow up that she got to complete that uh, idea. Uh, I liked a lot of the one shots stuck out, especially like I, you know, there's probably too many that didn't necessarily add value, but I did like a lot of the sub stories around the different Batmen. Um, and just, you know, what I also appreciated was the kind of uh, end of the night battle towards the end, uh, the, the one shot that was basically everyone kind of wrapping up their storylines ahead of the big battle. I thought that was really cool. It gave me very good chills, similar to the Game of Thrones, like night before fight, uh, before the show went off rails. But I, I really appreciated um, that. And especially as a kind of on again, off again reader, for DC, mostly just jumping into bigger events or alternate reality type stuff because I can't keep up overall with normal chronology. You know, besides the fact that there were like 17,000 MacGuffins happening at any time and Metal had this problem too, uh, I did appreciate, it was relatively easy to keep track of that. The world's gonna end, this is what needs to happen. Um, so I think overall it, it certainly was like, what I would hope to believe the most cataclysmic storyline ever possible in DC, at least for now. So that's also a, a pretty good accomplishment that they were able to layer all their crises in. And I would imagine uh, for many, for kind of deeper fans like you, there's probably tons of nuggets and you know references and combinations of things that I certainly don't always get from just my Wikipedia reading, but uh, you know, uh, I thought the artwork was was nice and just just in general it, it, I think it started off really interestingly and I love a good alternate reality where people get to kind of change up what they're doing and um, I you know I think like you're saying Jeff Scott has a really good sense for overall plot and narrative all this like such a good interesting gigantic thing I just wish sometimes the characters got to stand out a bit more than the cataclysmic event um, but but yeah that's what makes it the best for me. Um, kind of riffing off what both of you said, why, it, why it's the best for me is if you think about the sort of 
architects of DC over the last 20, 30 years, you know, Snyder clearly over the last, I'd say five years has been like one of the top writers. Before that, you know, Jeff Johns had his like, I want to say like 10, 15 year kind of run in different ways. Uh, a little bit before that, you kind of had the sort of like the Grant Morrison, Mark Wade sort of, you know, like they're the, one, the ones who kind of did it. I think Snyder, um, to Jeff's point, like is, knows and loves the DC universe. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. like that comes through in a lot of, lot of ways. And so even though like, I don't want to hop on the negative too early on, there are key moments that just made me go, fuck yeah, as a fan, like early on, you, you see Batman kind of in the shadows, like, you know, our Batman wearing like the overcoat. And when he had the black lantern ring and like he pulls up the dead, I was like, that's really fucking cool. I would have never have thought of that. You know, there's little moments here, the moments of like, you know, Harley and Jonah Hex like bonding, you yes. know, mm -hmm. uh, Jaro, which sometimes the humor gets overused. Like, I kind of enjoy that. Like, he's definitely somebody who doesn't take himself very seriously. And uh, Adam, I'm really glad you mentioned the art because I think Greg Capullo is absolutely fantastic. If somebody who is kind of like, you know, one of the first marveled an image like cool boys like you know as part of the McFarlane crew like he's definitely developed his own style over the last few decades and like it's just such a treat seeing his art but it wasn't just his art like seeing Francis Manipole's art mm -hmm. uh, and some of the one shots um seeing Eddie Barrow's art I think overall um the miniseries as well as all the the kind of the one shots uh they looked really nice mm -hmm. Jeff I think you wanted to make a point Oh, I was just going to throw in that the, you mentioned Jaro, and he's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I feel like <laughs> he is one, one of those characters that came up in the jail, uh, Justice League run that Snyder lit all of this off from. Yeah. That uh, the, the run was all over the place, and yeah, sometimes it got a little silly, but at the same time, I thought he was he was kind of funny. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed him, whereas some of the other stuff I was like, holy crap, but it was like, okay, a Jaro joke. I'm on board. They, yeah, they yeah. definitely peppered him in perfectly because I've since that beginning of the run, I enjoyed him there and I enjoyed it here. And I think it adds that level levity element, which is really good because obviously these stakes are so astronomically high; it's it's hard to even keep track of them sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's good to have that a little bit more of a, a groundedness. And it's funny because Jaro's totally like if you made a TV show, it's like it'd be like the third by the third season they're just using him all the time because some you know because kids love him or some shit but it works out well in the comics because it's mostly focused for fans so that i appreciate that yeah he's justice league urkel for sure um <laughs> but um okay so uh why was death metal the worst jeff we'll start with you okay well i already kind of went into a little bit um scott snyder for all his enthusiasm does have kind of this, this uh, concept ADHD thing where he jumps from idea to idea to idea. Um, every, like I, I started listing and I, I kind of lost track of like just going through, flipping back through one of the issues of the series uh, where like there were all these ideas that got like half a mention that could have been a whole story arc. It could have right. been a whole story arc. It didn't necessarily, I mean, you know, the JSA returning was part of the JLA or the Justice League run and part of this, but like it was kind of like overlooked. It was kind of a throwaway thing that the JSA came back to continuity in the middle of this. How that Black Lantern ring works for Batman and all that and the, the new way that, that he's using it 
is a great idea and I wanted to see that explored more and it it comes up and then it's like I mean it's just sort of thrown to the back seat of the, the car as it drives forward kind of thing mm-hmm. it's it's not a major part of the story it's just there um you know I mean you've got in the sa- that same issue that those two things were addressed like you've got dark father who is like a dark side version of batman right and you could do a whole story arc on a dark side version of batman and he gets like no other mention really i mean you, i think he might have shown up in one of the one shots but like that's you know you could do whole story arcs in all of these and it was frustrating to see the ideas thrown out there and then just like you know he speeds right past them to the next thing and uh i think that that also ties into another point that i have about it which is uh he comics are a visual um medium and so much of what he presents in this story he has to explain in mm-hmm. di- in, in text in exposition and it's a little frustrating because it's like Okay, so the biggest, like, most cosmic thing in the world is happening, and all you can do is write write a paragraph or two about it, because it's not something that you can show in panel, right? like, in action. Even with these really talented artists, there's only a limited amount that they can do with it, and that gets really frustrating, because I, I'd like to see the story play out in action, um, not reading, like, huge paragraphs of explaining you know, what's happening with with uh, these cosmic beings and like um, all the stuff that, that goes on with that. I, yeah, I, I completely agree uh, on his style. It's very old school in a way. Like, I mean, even, you know, talented writers like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore, when they do comics, like they get a little too uh, purple with their prose. Uh, and it just like, I kind of appreciate the old school stuff that Snyder is trying to evoke, but the style should be more modern. Uh, and I've noticed that like of all of his work, like, like I love the overarching stories in some of his stuff, like his Batman run, I think was phenomenal. The original metal series, uh, even parts of his justice league series, which I had some problems with, like I would get so frustrated and at times bored with his narration. I was like, Oh, this is just a fucking chore. Like, yeah. just like getting through this stuff. Which, uh, but, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, I was gonna say, which I think that, again, it, he, he knows comics. He knows that it's a visual medium. And I think that there are things that he could have done to make it a more visual story um, in certain parts where he just sort of like continued that, that uh, ADHD of ideas where he just would, he'd like run out of, things that he could present on page and he'd just explain it in a paragraph instead. Um, And that got a little frustrating to me. It's definitely like three years of comics crammed into a couple of months. Like I love the point that you made that all of this stuff should have more heft, like more weight. And I, and it could have, but it's like, you know, if you thought the scales were at 10 when you started the series, it got to like a hundred out of 10 by the end of it. And so as a, I know that these are giant crisis events, but I'm just as like, even like, uh, I would assume hopefully a real fan at some point was also like, wait, what the fuck? Like, I think mm-hmm. there's a, uh, I, you brought up a great point uh, both of you about uh, Snyder's writing is that like, I'd read a novelization of his, this entire new Justice League. Like I'd love a book series. Cause I think they could do so much more and he could do so much more with that medium. 
tell the story, tell the reactions, how people are feeling, focus on the characters while also describing these outrageous events without even having necessarily to show it. I definitely think, like I was saying before, it's like 17,000 MacGuffins on the planet. Every single possible DC reference you could think of, it's like the Metron's chair, there's the Speed Force, there's the, we gotta, we have the multiverse, but then there's the Omniverse, and then there's that other guy that randomly showed up. And it was just like, it, 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 I think it's again, like it was a good play to hopefully, it paid off in engaging people that have read these comics for that long. But I think it, it did them a disservice at telling a self-contained story um and and again like it wasn't it was actually like even for wonder woman's journey i'm glad it was overall her story i thought it was very like beginning and end like she kind of just bookended the journey as opposed to really leading that conversation in charge they ramped up all the conversations that she was having with people and doing stuff um and it just it just kind of felt fell flat in that way uh for me and, and overall like i it it it, very, it was like good, bad. It felt very quintessential what I think people think of DC when they say it's like impenetrable. So it's like, you know, it it does, it felt like a very much an 80s crossover comic series because of the writing and just the, like all of that styling and layering on of, of the, of that sort of like whimsical old school fantasy style of, of comics. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm trying to like really be a bitch about it but i can't like I, you can see all the love and care that was given to it so i don't want to just like tear it apart but it definitely got it definitely got rough in the middle i think that's where i think a lot of because we have we have a normal cast of five and it's kaylin and i talking about it with you jeff because everyone else was like sign me off i don't want to be a part of this mm-hmm. um and it's right. it's just because it's it just speaks to a lot of the qualities that you either love or don't like about i think what dc has to offer sometimes kaylin um, if you don't want to be a bitch about it, I will be. So uh, <laughs> happy to play that role. I got two super fans on, so I just wanted to be very thoughtful and objective. No, 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 no. I, I appreciate that. But um, I'll say, you know, beyond what both of you have said, which I think is super valid, I think my interest in this series just took a nosedive is when uh, you had the Trinity kind of, that Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman going off uh, in the dark multiverse versions of the other crises, the yes. crisis of infinite earths, infinite crisis, final crisis. I cannot, I'm sorry, I say this as a, somebody who's been reading DC comics even longer than you have, Jeff. I cannot read a fucking comic about a crisis in time anymore. <laughs> I, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. I refuse. I will, I will burn every DC comic mm-hmm. I own because it's just, it's become too self-referential. Like, I, I was a little too young for Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, you know, I would like kind of read about it, like even sort of in the pre-internet or nascent internet days. And then like, finally, like I would, you know, this is before they even had the trade paperback. I like, I, I, I had all the issues. And then when I finally read it, I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. I even borrowed, like, I remember going to the comic store every week to buy zero hour. I remember, you know, getting excited mm-hmm. about Infinite Crisis, even though mm-hmm. um, I should have realized that was going to be a problem because my favorite era of DC uh, was that kind of like post-crisis, pre-infinite crisis era where you actually had a singular universe and you had generations of heroes and there was actual growth and evolution. And then it just felt like they were kept going back to the well, bringing Hal back, bringing Barry back, you know, bringing back like the shit that you read as a kid. It just was like, it got mind numbing. And like, I think Snyder is a better writer than Jeff Johns in a lot of ways. Like I appreciate that he's not just trying to turn his childhood loves into like these like absolutely violent 
like dark creations, which is like I think a major problem in a lot of, of Jeff Johns's work. But like I, it's it just was too much. And then um, I think there was so much wasted potential from like what happened at the end of Metal, the original series from a few years ago, which I actually really enjoyed, yeah. and I liked that you know they got rid of the source wall and it was like this whole new era of like uh, uh, or new like threats were supposed to come. And the new threat was Perpetua, which we're going to get into a second, who's just the mother of the monitor and the anti-monitor. I'm like, there's nothing new or original about that. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the Justice League uh, run that he did, even though there's some nice moments of like justice versus doom. I was like, I, I can't, I can't hmm. deal with this concept anymore. I, I can't. Um, and what, who I thought was like a, an interesting visual in, in, again, going back to metal, the Batman who laughs, like he, he's fallen way too much Snyder that has fallen way too much in love with that creation mm. because he is a one note villain. As far as I'm concerned, he has zero, zero dimension. There is zero, um, you know, nuance or like any kind of like uh, um, depth to that character. He's just right. like basically a lesser version of Joker who happens to kind of look like Batman. And now he's a cosmic God, Jeff, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah, well, and I, I think that that uh, one of the things that you were kind of uh, you brushed up against was that it does kind of end up with the the problem too uh, of being the third or fourth um, kind of thing that I mean it's going to have direct comparisons to things that Grant Morrison just recently did with DC with uh, Final Crisis and and Multiversity and all that. It's going to have direct comparisons to things that Jeff Johns did with Flashpoint, Rebirth, and Doomsday Clock. And I know that, that Snyder went out of his way to say, hey, I'm including all of these things. I'm encapsulating them. But it, it, I don't know. There's something weird about the fact that he kind of threw the blanket over all of them and tried to, like, his was the one that was going to own all of them kind of thing, as opposed to, like, coordinating with all of those other people uh, or working with what already existed. It's like his was the outer layer of paint kind of thing as opposed mm -hmm. to, and it's, it does draw weird comparisons. I mean, you, it's hard to talk about death metal without talking about his Justice League run and his Justice League run. I mean, I feel like the, the Justice League run that it compares the most to is the Morrison run. And the problem is that Morrison had these crazy high concept things and some of them worked better than others. Some of them like Mageddon, the, the final story arc and all that, there's, you know, you can say whether or not you were on board with it, whether or not you thought it, it you know, stuck the landing or not for the whole series. But he also had down to earth moments in the middle of it to let you remember who these characters are on a basic level and what they are when they're interacting with normal people in the DC universe and kind of get you back to like a grounded level and nothing in Scott Snyder's Justice League was grounded. I remember in one of these interviews that I watched with him that, you know, is, is you know, infectious, like I said, about how, how passionate he is about all of these things. He talked about how the story where they went to the sixth dimension or whatever it was um, that passed, passed uh, Mitzel Pitlick um, to to meet the future versions of themselves or whatever 
that was the down to earth story in the middle of it all. And I was going, <laughs> holy crap, holy crap. That's, that is not a down to earth story. That is not a, a, a grounded story at all. And, and I don't mind having you take chances on some crazy over the top conceptual stuff, but I feel like you need to have the Justice League beat a bad guy every once in a while and it just be them beating a bad guy. And then, then some crazy shit happens and they're, they're out, you know, out in cosmic uh, meeting Perpetua or whoever it ends up being, which uh, uh, Perpetua is a whole thing. We'll get to that at some point, but uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right that they're every, it almost, and I, I think I obviously before I even recorded this podcast, I sent you all a screenshot of that one panel or page that was basically like so meta it hurt, which is like, will anyone understand this? I don't even know what's going on. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, don't write that in a book series that literally even hardcore fans are having a tough time kind of tracking and following up on. Um, it was it, that there's just so much about it that it's so meta on his own thing. And I appreciate like, cause you know, with Doomsday Clock, they did that sort of thing of like, it's a Superman story. They analyzed what does it mean to be Superman? I'm like, you kind of got to pick and choose your battles. Like Doomsday Clock at least had a small enough scope of what was happening that it was easy to get more serious about how the characters are and who they like get to the ethos kind of thing. And you can't have this cataclysmic event while also talking ethos. It was very like, I think that was the hardest part for me is I had this like disconnect where I love what you said, Jeff, about like, you got to have downtime. And there was not, it was just next, next, next. And I already know I made a bad Game of Thrones comparison, but it did feel like a lot of last season Game of Thrones. They're like teleporting everywhere. They're moving as fast as possible. Everything is always the next step. I'm like, I just stopped, started caring about what happened three issues ago. How am I supposed to start caring about what's happening here? So it was just really tough to, to tough to hang on essentially. Thanks. Um, just to, yeah, just to add one more thing, and this isn't necessarily just true of death metal. I think this is true of both Marvel and DC events is I, I am getting really tired of like events that have, okay, now this is the main series. And then there's all these ancillary yeah. books. And um, we've talked about that on our regular podcast because we're currently reviewing King and Black, which is following the kind of the same format, if not more so than what uh, uh, death metal is doing versus Ten of Swords, which is the X-Men crossover that just recently happened, where they had chapters one through 22, which is a lot, don't get me wrong, but it, 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 like, it went through all the, like, the regular books. And so you knew all the stuff was essential. And so it's so hard to like, figure out what's essential and what's not. And then at the last minute, I ended up buying all these one shots, uh, which I'm glad I did because there were some, you know, some terrible yeah. moments, but some really delightful moments too. Because uh, it allowed the story to breathe uh, there where it didn't normally breathe in in that. But um, which I'm asking for both of you this: like, which of the one shots stood out for you, either positively or negatively? So, Jeff, we'll start with you. Uh, okay, so I think that uh, as far as positive, um, Multiverse's End, which was the one that that yeah. uh, had. John Stewart and Owlman kind of talking about what what um, the multiverse and how it keeps getting reinvented, what it means for a character that is not on the main Earth in the multiverse. And I thought that was actually a really cool story. And you know, I, I liked that it featured uh, John Stewart. I um, I liked that they uh, um, featured all the different versions of Owlman. 
And uh, I, I thought that it was, I, I thought that it was one of those things where it took some of the ideas that um, that Scott Snyder is just blazing right through and took some time to actually unpack it a little bit. Um, so that was one of the ones I thought that Rise of the New God um, was pretty cool because it, um, it went into a bunch of characters that should be included in a crisis kind of event. If you're going to do a crisis kind of event, um, you know, it, it checked in on Psycho Pirate um, and uh, Metron, and it introduced this character, the Chronicler, who I think would have actually benefited the, the main story a little bit if they had focused on him a little bit. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll throw in a uh, speed metal. I thought speed metal was a good story and I, it made me want to go read more of Josh Williamson's uh, Flash series. Um, and then I'll throw out that Robin King was just not good. And I'm usually a Tomasi fan. I usually like uh, his writing. And maybe part of it was that I was reading it in the middle of election week and the world already looked dark and, and scary and, but it was so depressing. It was, I mean, and, and I'm, I, you know, we haven't really gone into that, but I'm somebody who's like a little bit critical with DC doing all of these one shots that are like, hey, what if we did this event, but made it like go even worse than it, like this big crisis event and make it even worse. That's not really why I read comics. I don't need the darkest version of everything ever, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that Robin King issue is just too much. I, I started it like three times and I, I had the goal that I was gonna try to read all the one shots and give them all a shot. And I thought maybe, you know, by the time that it ended, it would have been better, but that character, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the main characters in the story at some point, but. Robin King is not my uh, my favorite by, by a long <laughs> shot, and uh, um, that story was just so depressing. I mean, watching watching him like destroy a bunch of you know beloved heroes, even if they were second or third tier heroes, um, and I, I don't know, it was just not my thing. But the others, uh, I think that James Tynion and Joshua Williamson. And of course, you know, throwing in Gail Simone and Mark Wade into the mix for uh, that, because that that would be, I guess, the other one would be the one that's the them all like right before that final battle kind of thing. Yeah, the last stories of the um, DC right. universe. I like yeah. right. which that one hit a bunch of really high notes and was super hopeful and like you know, Wally West got his moment of of being reunited with the Titans. And I, I don't know, that that was a high point. Um, and then shout out, because it's not a one shot, but shout out to uh, Josh Williamson's um, Justice League run that uh, matched up with, it was like Lex Luthor and Nightwing and Hawkgirl, um, grim and gritty looking, but the story actually went somewhere and had a beginning and an end to it. Mm -hmm. um i i actually really like that plus it was a titans reunion you got to see starfire cyborg and nightwing team up and acknowledge the fact that they're all titans which was probably the first time that that actually had happened solidly since um the 90s 52. probably the new 52 oh, whenever they they yeah. undid all of that um anyway so yeah that's my Can thoughts I 
Yeah, the only extra one I would layer in that I enjoyed was the secret origin. Uh, so Superboy Prime's kind of, I guess, I guess he's dead now. <laughs> uh, I liked, uh, I just, as I never read that sort of art, the, that, the crisis storyline that he was involved in or just his overall journey, but I did know about the character and what happened and having context through Wikipedia and other places. And I just thought that was like a cool standalone like oh okay that's at least like again at least it brought it back to the character uh sorry go ahead no i was gonna say I, that was an interesting one and i'd be curious about because it's it's credited as being co-written by jeff johns and scott snyder and i'd be curious to know how exactly that went and if it was you know <laughs> if it was cordial and everybody got along and it was or if it was adversarial but they were like well we want to try to kind of make this fit together somehow because I mean again these are two people that wrote their own version of moving on to the next stage of the DC universe and and of course as I you know mentioned before this it they're also two people that that did that kind of story and immediately stepped down from writing main DC comics which mm -hmm. I, I think is a you know a tangent I could go off on and problematic but mm -hmm. um but yeah, no, the, just knowing how that, that writing went co-written between two people that kind of have had their time running the DC universe, probably the two most recent. Uh, Kalen, you'd Yeah, I was just gonna say really quickly, um, I, I fucking hate Superboy Prime. Um, <laughs> I've never liked that character um, because <laughs> like both DC and Marvel, like they have their kind of like, you know, winking at the audience, break the fourth wall types. Marvel's got Deadpool and Gwenpool now, Gwenpool especially. DC has Harley Quinn to a certain degree. Uh, and especially, um, you see that a little bit more in the Harley Quinn animated show on HBO Max, which you haven't watched. If you haven't watched, it's amazing. It's really good. It but like, it, it only works like if you have like a sense of whimsy and humor to it. And Superboy Prime is just the toxic fanboy put in you know in yeah. context of the other characters and i'm like i don't want to read about a toxic fanboy even if he's the antagonist yeah. like i i just don't care like i even like even like when john's who his work runs hot and cold with me when he did um the uh the final crisis like uh offshoot with the legion the legion of three worlds or whatever it was mm -hmm. called right. like i was like i'm so excited about this i'm a big legion superboy uh fanboy like, I love that, like, there's going to be three different versions of these uh, legions out there and all interacting with one another. And then they made Superboy Prime the villain. I was like, I, oh, my God, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I will also agree with you, Jeff, about the Robin King one shot was a fucking slog to get through, even though Peter, uh, Peter Tomasi is a, is a decent writer. Riley Romasso, I think, is one of the, like, more talented artists to come out uh, working for DC mm -hmm. for the last five years. Yeah. But... It's the same thing, the same problem I have with uh, the Batman who laughs or the man who laughs now is um, it's Snyder and other writers being so impressed with themselves that they found this really unrepentantly evil version of Batman and now an unrepentantly evil version of Robin. Yeah. It's just, it's so fucking one note and it's yeah. so fan fiction-y. Like, I'm like, this is the shit I would probably write in like my notebook when I was like 15 years old when I was the biggest DC <laughs> fanboy in the world. And like, I'm like, I expect more from these writers. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I, I feel like what you were saying about Superboy Prime, he popped up, like, okay, if you want to write him, it like the original Infinite Crisis story, I wasn't a fan of him, like, ripping off Teen Titans arms and stuff like that. But, you know, okay, he was part of that story. He It was like a, a like, 
you know, callback to him being part of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. That's one thing. But the fact that he became such a recurring character is what right. really, really got to me. And I'm kind of worried that we're going to have that with the Batman Who Laughs, which... We, we already um, have it. He's already got his miniseries. We're going to have sure. it with the Robin King now, too. Which, I, on one hand, I will say... James Tynion made him a little bit interesting and and has made the character at least palatable for me. But at the, on the other hand, he's one of those characters that doesn't need to come back up. I mean, he was this event was his event. And right. He doesn't need to be back over and over and over and over and over. And it's I feel like one of my things with DC as a longtime fan is that they seem to latch on to those characters and bring them back and bring them back and bring them back. And I, I, at some point I thought Bane and Doomsday were those characters, but I've kind of accepted that Bane and Doomsday are characters that are going to keep coming back. And I'm okay with that a little bit more. Superboy Prime and the Batman Who Laughs are those characters now, and they don't need to keep coming back. They, they're, they're, this is their story. I mean, this is Batman Who Laughs story and doesn't need to keep happening. Well, and they also, like, can't, like, to me, I'm like, they can't. Like, how could you possibly tell a story after this involving the Batman Who Laughs that does any, like, his scope of what he was trying to achieve is so enormously large that it's like, it's unless they found a way to, like, depower him or do something, it's like, he's not just going to show up and, like, play around on Earth. Like, you've literally ruined any ability for him to grow stakes which I find really frustrating. And I think you're exactly right, Kaylin. As a character, he was very cool in metal because he didn't, he was more like, I wouldn't call him necessarily a trickster, but it was a lot of like tricks and traps up his sleeve because he was more of a, like he was more of the minion type to Barbados. And then subsequent, and like, I get it. I love the kind of flip. And I think that I, I appreciate the sort of like, now I'm taking control, but they also never really had him that much in that like, I want to take control seat and instead it was always he was crazy power hungry what have you and it just kept rapidly expanding and like i think you're both right that i'm just like i don't know how you use this character the way he's written right now like I, it's almost like five ten years from now someone will write a somehow a retcon to him that will make him far more unique and interesting because i i was so happy with the character in metal and and you're right it just over and over and over bad we're evil Ooh, we fucked you over like you're like okay have some gravitas that isn't just maiming and murdering people, Kayla. Uh, since you brought up Game of Thrones, uh, I feel that's fair game now. It's almost yeah. like if you took uh, Ramsey Bolton and made him into like the ultimate big bad for the series. Yeah. Like it, it's just, you can't, you, like he was already overused in the show to begin with. And when like he was finally done away with at the end of season six, I want to say, yeah. um, I was like, all right, good. This character's done. We've seen his sadism. Like, I don't need to see it anymore. Uh, whereas, like, again, I just feel like, oh, like, oh, he's he's Batman, but he's bad. I'm like, stop, no more. <laughs> like, his story has been told to Jeff's point. Like, we're done, we're done, we're done. Okay, so um, the uh, clearly, as I mentioned in our in the synopsis, there is now a new status quo in DC. Yet another new status quo, uh, and it's called the Infinite Frontier, which means that every yeah, sort of. Uh, it, it means that every story that happened actually happened. Um, uh, what do you guys feel about the status quo? Do you think it'll stick? You know, like, do you think it gives DC more freedom or does it construct DC in certain ways? 
I'm not completely sure I know what it means. Yeah, uh, I just got to say that. So I, I'm glad I was like, I don't understand it, but I'm going to let them talk first. Like, every, every story counts. And I, it, it's funny because, you know, anybody that went to any comic book related website or whatever saw that there was some version of that going on that Dan DiDio was planning before he was dismissed or whatever, um, where he was making a timeline where he was trying to fit everything into it. And this is clearly not that. This is not the organized, like, everything 5G, fits into a timeline. Right. right. Um, which 5G is, I mean, the name itself is super <laughs> frustrating in the fact that. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, the the fact that, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what they're trying to do with this, what this actually means, because it can't be that as much as I like all kinds of stories that have sometimes counted and sometimes not counted. Um, there are things that can't both happen to the same character unless they're happening on different Earths or different realities or different. And so if that's what they're saying that, you know, this is, like you said, kind of the, the new, new version of Hypertime. Um, cool. Okay. I'm on board with that, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's, one of those things where on one hand there's the dc like long-term dc fan in me that's like hey i did get to see nightwing interacting with starfire and cyborg and acting like they were old friends as opposed to cyborg who was never a, a teen titan and was a member of the justice league and uh, i don't know it, it was it, it's cool to know that they're, they're opening it up to respect past stories but on the other hand uh you know that there are going to be conflicts and continuity and just saying that well it all happened and it all counts um doesn't really answer any questions i, I don't think you bring up a good point about i didn't even pick up on that because i don't even know what the all the different things that might have happened to most of these characters but i i kind of like the idea and i i it might not be real but it's like i kind of like the idea of thinking about that like people remember everything, even if it happened to somebody else somewhere else. You know, it's like the characters that we currently have remember all of these things, but it could have been multiple versions of the same event kind of idea, but they can, they, they have the full knowledge of how all three events played out maybe. Cause I, the idea that they could pick and choose how people interact with each other is interesting, but you'd also have to go into the psychological breakdowns that most people would have if you got to see 17 different versions of the same critical events that happen in your life kind of idea. Yeah, uh, spe special shout out to uh, anybody that read the Lois Lane 12 issue series by Rucka um, because it started as a um, like a journalism government kind of thing and it ended with kind of that where Lois Lane and other characters that remembered all of the different versions of the multiverse we're gathering them up and, and giving them like mental health care and stuff like that for the fact that they remembered all these crazy things. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of a cool concept. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place and it's hard to nail down, but I like the idea and I'd be interested to see where that goes. Yeah, that's actually a riff off something I was just thinking about. It's well, not a DC book, but Astro City, which was Kurt Busiek's book that he did for Image and then actually ironically moved to DC under the Vertigo banner, which Vertigo doesn't exist anymore. Early on, uh, there was this like one shot. I think it might have been like like remember when Wizard did the half issues? You could mm -hmm. like get them like the special ones. Mm -hmm. I remember 
finding a, a copy of it like at a con somewhere and paying way too much money and it was about a, a guy and it was like that was the 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 whole conceit about Astro City was about the real people in a superhero universe and like how that affects them and so you had a guy who has these like memories of his wife but he was ne he's never married and then he finds out that like uh the universe was rebooted and he's having these phantom memories of this loved one and so um like that concept is there so i'm glad that dc is kind of dealing with that uh mm -hmm. but like what i think about the infinite frontier in general is kind of like an episode of richard rick and morty <laughs> like if you think about it too much it's gonna hurt your brain so don't think about it yeah so it's like if dc decides okay we've got this omniverse now we've got an infinite number of multiverses cool we'll like explore certain things here and there but DC, it's like a scab. They can't stop picking at it. It's like <laughs> they have to always go back to like how we're going to fix it, how we're going to have another crisis, how we're going to like reform the universe where it makes sense. Just leave it the fuck alone. Even and even after Crisis on Infinite Earth, like um, the post crisis DCU was largely something I enjoyed. Uh, it lasted 20 some odd mm -hmm. years. But even mm -hmm. that had some problems. And every time they tried to fix it, they made it worse. Like Hawkman. Legion of Superheroes, Donna you know, Troy. like, like, yeah. yeah, Donna Troy, all that stuff. It's like, you're going to have glitches, allow the glitch to exist. Don't focus on it and just tell a story and just yeah. move forward. Well, and sometimes even writers have fun with the glitches and, and actually do something interesting with that glitch. And it's not going to be written for all the casual fans necessarily, but for like the hardcore fan that wants to read about Hawkman's glitches or whatever, uh, there were moments, I, I would say Hawkworld, yes, the stuff that followed it, not necessarily, but uh, um, there, there were moments of, of that. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, like you're saying, embrace the glitches or, or shy away from the glitches, either I think is probably fine, but they don't need to be front and center. And every story doesn't need to be solved. Like every major crisis doesn't, or event doesn't need to be solving all of those things. I don't think. It's, because it, what's more, yeah, I was gonna say what's more interesting to me is like that they wouldn't just solve individual glitches in people's own books because I think that's a great way to take it. Because to your point, that you know, I feel like that happens in Marvel. I'm sure it happens in DC too. Is like there are certain times where there are things that have come up, and then people wait to then tell the story. You know, it's like it's obvious they didn't mean to do it. But they tell they're like, oh shit, we should solve this problem. Now let's tell this part of the story. And you instead of solving everything at once, solving individual character lines is what actually pays off and and means something more and adds value to these characters substantially. Cause I think that's been the biggest problem of most people, even that are Fairweather fans for DC, like staying on the ship, is because if you're constantly recycling it, it you're like, which world am I even living in? What's important? Whereas at least if again, Marvel has done multiple changes to many of its characters and it usually doesn't occur because of this giant or like it's small groups of people at a time, not the entire universe kind of idea. Caleb? So um, this leads me to my next question. So there's going to be another event sooner rather than later. In fact, there was already the, the winter one, the whatever it was called. I didn't even read it. Uh, like it was based yeah. Endless Winter. Thank you. I was yeah. like, I can't. Like I've already seen, I've already uh, done Final Night once back in the <laughs> 90s, like when the sun got extinguished. Uh, but uh, they're going to have another event sooner or later. So let's say you get to be the editor-in-chief, chief creative officer, whatever, DC. What would you want the next event to tackle? 
I mean, I, I think that that for me, I need to see what the status quo of the DC universe is at this point. I need to see down to earth stuff. I need to see, I mean, it doesn't need to be some cosmic event. Let, yes. let the writers that are now writing comics for DC Comics take the reins and set up what this universe is. Because again, like I pointed out, one of the weird things for me for this event and for the past few are that, uh, you know, Jeff Johns did a whole big thing about resetting the universe and then stepped down and or whatever ended up happening there. Um, so that he's not one of the major writers at DC if he's there at all. Um, and Scott Snyder is kind of doing the same thing where he's only doing creator own things. I want to see what, like if something bad happens in the DC universe, um, what, what the Justice League does to react to it, what the Titans do to react to it. I want to see something down to earth. I want to see what this new DC universe that they've set up is going to be. And I want to see it by the writers that are going to be uh, dealing with the consequences consequences of it because um they're you know they can set up their own story arcs and like follow up on them later then uh so you know i'm looking at things like um the darkness within uh which was the eclipso story which was one of the first ones that i read that was a major crossover and it wasn't it wasn't the best thing in, ever to be written it wasn't some super high concept thing it wasn't the most unique thing i've ever read but you got to see all the ground level, like what's going on in the DC universe. Um, you got to see all what the status quo for all those characters was. Um, and, it, and then it all kind of linked together with Eclipso possessing random characters out of each of the stories and, uh, and causing mayhem. And then the her heroes coming in and stopping it. I need a story like that. And I honestly, I know that, uh, Endless Winter doesn't necessarily sound like uh, the most exciting story that I've ever looked at, but I want to, now that I'm done reading this, I will probably go back and read that just because it is more that kind of story. Yeah, it is right. more that down to earth, what is going on in the, except I don't know that it's, it was written to come before the, sta the new status quo, so I don't know. I, I would want something that's like, uh, and, and you know, I have mixed feelings about Bendis at DC, but he did a whole thing with um, Manhunter and um, redoing the intelligence uh, agencies of the DC universe. And if they wanted to follow up with that, I don't need it to all be written by Bendis necessarily because I've uh, some of his dialogue kind of gets to me sometimes. But uh, um, but if all of the writers that are going to be ongoing writers for the DC universe want to come together and come up with a story that has to do with setting up that, it would be a really good way to see uh, what the current status quo is before you tell me about what is happening on new prime <laughs> earth and uh, else world and whatever else. Jeff, you must be a mind reader because uh, that's where my head was going on like the whole idea of like espionage and intelligence in the DC universe like an underrated crossover from, I want to say the late eighties, early nineties was the Janus directive, mm -hmm. which included like the John Ostrander suicide squad, uh, the old version of Manhunter, uh, checkmate, uh, firestorm, yeah. captain Adam, yeah. a bunch of others of like, you know, Amanda Waller, like playing these sort of mind games with other people who were doing like intelligence work in the DC 
universe and mostly through the United States. So I think like kind of following up on that would be really cool. My only other thing um, I would like to see is now the, the Justice Society are officially back. I would love to see like, uh, it doesn't need to be an event, but maybe like a series kind of detailing maybe their adventures from like, or like, you know, do like a mini series where you do your stuff during World War II, you do like the post-World War II era where they had to deal with the House uh, Un-Americans Committee uh, and the whole Red Scare stuff, like what they were doing, you know, you know, from, you know, like the various decades leading up to the modern times. I think that would be like, I've always been a big Justice Society fanboy. I, I even read every fucking issue of Infinity Incorporated because I was such a big Justice Society yeah, fanboy. Me too. Uh, me too. But, um, you know, I think that would be be really cool. But Adam, you're kind of a newer fan. I know you're, uh, you've talked about Injustice many times on a regular podcast, but is there something that you would like to see as kind of a more like casual fan of DC that you would, that you haven't seen tackled yet? Yeah, I think it's like, I think you got like three different paths forward from this infinite frontier. I think one, you use the infinite frontier to reset power levels a little and maybe like they don't notice it, but like, I'm just like, you either have to reset power levels so some people can become more human or the stakes can feel a little bit higher than just everyone being able to fight these cosmic gods that are gonna obliterate the entire omniverse kind of thing. I think, or you find ways to take people off the chessboard so that you can play with a lot more interesting characters. Like what I find, and I love Injustice, and what I like so much about it is that the majority of the characters playing in it, besides obviously Superman, Wonder Woman, are like, kind of weird you know like they always have like the rogue gallery that gets involved like i just you need a little bit more humanity in many of the dc heroes so i'm just trying to think of through of how to do that and in, and again you can keep everybody where they are but take cosmic beings off the board and do something that's more personally related so i know that you know i i'm trying to think of uh what was that one where it was here uh the one where they were all at that mental health facility Oh, uh, Heroes in Crisis. Yeah, like I really enjoyed that. Like I think DC actually works better than Marvel at having that kind of like powers-esque look or that sort of meta commentary look on superheroism. So if there was a way to kind of tell a story that kind of built that up, I, I think it would be good. It's just really difficult because the power levels of the Justice League are just so tremendously high that you have to have these like world shat like universe shattering like things happen in order to have a reason to get everybody together but and keep it small like pick a couple of groups to get involved don't you know just the ending of the of the series where it was like this you know like you, there were humans there were this i was like this this giant fucking bat human cosmic being and perpetua are like cataclysmically fighting each other humans aren't doing shit like stop pretending there was any need to have these giant wars happening between all these low-level people it just was like something just fell off there and, and i think that hopefully this infinite frontier does away with some of this perpetua stuff i know we've been building up to talk about her so i want to make sure to act to get her in of like it's just it, it's there but there's no stakes because like there isn't even that great of a character to it and like or bring her back as a person who actually wants to interact. I did like kind of her thing of like, I'm trying to make you more powerful to fight these, the hands people. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But it's still too far removed from like, okay, that this crossover is over now. Everyone just goes back to like working at the daily, I was gonna say the daily bugle, but working at what the daily planet, was that what it is? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Planet is. <laughs> you know what we're gonna say? 
I uh, I will never stop laughing at the way you pronounce Perpetua's name, Adam. No, Perpetua. Per- I Perpetua. <laughs> I will never Perpetua. ever stop. <laughs> I, I tried really never. hard to get it right. Yeah. Uh, no, no, you did, you did. I also, one last thing I'll just say about like the ending of it was, you know, you had this new like kind of Justice League, Legion of Doom, like fused group at that, like that new, yeah. like, you know, outpost they have over by the moon or whatever the fuck it is. It reminded me a lot of, um, I'm the only one who's probably gonna remember this because Jeff, you don't really read Marvel and Adam, you probably didn't read this was uh, the when they brought the Ultimates into the regular Marvel 616. Uh, after uh, Secret Wars where they had like a team that was like the Uber Avengers and they were going to be there to watch what was going to happen in the <laughs> intergalactic threats that like the Avengers couldn't even deal with. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Jeff? Well, that, and, and to that point though, it is one of those things where I'm like, but didn't we already have the House of Heroes from Multiversity and Grant Morrison? Um, didn't, wasn't that what that was supposed to be? Basically that. Yeah. Um, and on the, the flip side, I'm that was actually an interesting idea that they came up with. Like I said, I, I do think that Scott Snyder comes up with some really interesting ideas, but he introduced it and now he's not going to be writing it. And so it's like, I hope that he talked to whoever's supposed to be writing that story because, I mean, the idea of throwing um, three heroes and three villains that are obviously going to be used in other books um, onto a team where they're supposed to be working together really could change the the dynamic of somebody else's book if you're like well you know i'm writing superman now and i i want to use lex luther and is he a villain or is he working with the heroes or is he and i understand that they're not necessarily giving up being villains that was part of the point i guess but how does that work and and i know that scott snyder's high concept of it is oh we're going to merge these two things together but he doesn't leave you with much of a blueprint for what that means. And I do hope that he talked that over with up, like upcoming writers or, or editorial or somebody about like where they think that's going to go. Um, yeah. But, I was just going to say, I actually think it's kind of a good thing that he's not going to stick around uh, and do it. Like he's like laid his concepts out there. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. Let other writers kind of figure out a way to do it because they're not going to be as wedded to some of the uh, uh, concepts that he kept going back to. Uh, like we're not gonna, hopefully we don't see the man who laughs. Hopefully we don't see Robin King, even though I, I'm really worried that we will. Hopefully like we never see Perpetua ever again or Perpetua, how Adam pronounces it. <laughs> uh, you know, like, it's like, cool, we've done these things. Now we're gonna move on. It's a new status quo. Let's do that. Adam? That, I got other I just, just wanna, I do agree that I hope they kind of leave some of this to rest for a while. Like let somebody pick it up five to 10 years from now, a lot like um, Hickman's done with X-Men, right? Like I, there's a way to thread a lot of this back together, but it shouldn't all happen at once. It's like, take some time, let new writers pick up stuff they enjoyed. And then, you know, always in the back of their mind, they have hopefully a whole wish list of like the things that should come back. But it's just, there's, like I said, there's 17,000 MacGuffins. There's too many terminologies and, everything could either make or destroy the world and it's like can you get back a little bit to basics and normal physics i think for for quite some time to kind of level set and get people more smoothed in in these characters so it's clear to me that like death metal was not our favorite dc event uh but jeff i'd love to hear from you since you've been a long time dc fanboy 
what your favorite, favorite ever DC event was. See, I, I saw that you made that note about the fact that this might come up as a question at the end of this. And I freaked out for a second because I was like, wait, which one am I going to say? Which one am I going <laughs> to say? Um, and I, it's, it's really hard for me to say because, I mean, you know, everything from um, the initial JLA, JSA crossovers, which, of course, I wasn't reading whenever they originally came out. But going back and reading them, so there's some of the, like, classic event stories that weren't, you know, over the top. They were contained within like three to five issues or whatever. Um, but uh, I don't know if, if we're talking full on crossover event. Uh, I, I really enjoyed, and maybe it should count as a guilty pleasure because I know there are a lot of flaws with it, but I really enjoyed Underworlds Unleashed. Um, it, and it didn't try to be more than it, it was. It was just, it was a story where like the devil, Neuron in the DC universe, was giving out new powers to villains, sometimes a few heroes. And you got to see, um, it, it was a very kind of basic concept that translated across titles very easily. And you got to see villains become better than they were before and become uh, more prominent than they were before. You got to see uh, um, Neron, who popped back up a few times and actually had some good stories in The Flash and other books, especially when Mark Wade was writing those books, which he was the one that wrote that story. So I guess that makes sense that he would reuse yeah. the character. Um, but uh, it, it just, it, it's classic to me. And again, it might not be the best story, but it, it, it has uh, nostalgia for me. And it, it, uh, it did some changes, but it did them at a level where, you know, it was um, something that you could, you could follow along with and keep up with, or you didn't need to know all the different parts of it necessarily also. So. Yeah. Adam, if I could guess yours, it's probably Injustice, but if you have another one. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm just going to talk a lot about Injustice because I love it so much. I know it's not <laughs> technically a crossover, but if you are a Fairweather fan of DC, I would highly recommend reading both of, uh, God, I can't remember his name, Tom Taylor's uh, runs for, well, and I guess, what is it? Who the fuck is the one that replaces him halfway through the first Injustice? Brian Buccoletto. Oh, you have to get through them, but they're not good. But the first two years of the first Injustice series and then all of Injustice 2, uh, again, for a video game, like prequels, like lead-ins, they're just absolutely fantastic. They're everything I want from the DC universe, which is like human characters, high stakes, uh, stakes that are realistic, like everything. And, but also using all of the best parts that, and like big names that people know, but just in a way that it feels more interesting. Like I just loved every year. It was like mad, you know, one year was magic. One year was Green Lanterns. One year was just what was happening on earth. Just lots of really good, good stuff. And again, number Injustice 2, um, the Injustice 2 video game story is not really good. I guess neither was the first one either, but like the Injustice 2 story is so cool. And it's like, I, you know, it leaves on a slight cliffhanger for what Injustice 3 might be about. And also I'm just like, dear God, I hope Tom Taylor writes another series about it, Jeff. I was going to say just a, a quick shout out for Tom Taylor uh, since you brought him up. Uh, his short, very short run on Suicide Squad, I think it was like 11 issues, um, mm -hmm. was actually really fun. And it was, it's the kind of thing where, I mean, he's most well known for doing something that didn't really end up being mainstream DC continuity. Um, but he did this one story and he ran all over DC continuity 
and did something well thought out and created these new characters and then the title got canceled because they need to make the Suicide Squad more like the next movie that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, we're big uh, Tom Taylor fans on Home Superior, so you don't need to, you know, uh, uh, make any apologies for that. I, not only do I want to read a Suicide Squad run, which I will get to, but also he's going to be doing um, Night uh, Wing, who is my favorite character of all time, <laughs> mostly because of his amazing ass, uh, but also I love Dick Grayson as a character. Um, like, so like one of my favorite writers doing one of my favorite characters, which almost never happens. It's like the last time I think um, there was a writer I really enjoyed on on Nightwing. It wasn't even called Nightwing, it was Grayson. It was Tom King doing that. And it, it, it's, it was early on in Tom King's career. Adam, are you gonna make a point? No, sorry. Like, oh. I'm, oh. I'm just sitting. <laughs> oh, it just looked like you had your finger up. Right. I, 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 I will say my favorite uh, DC event probably of all time, I was thinking about it too as I wrote out that question, is probably DC 1 million, which was uh, kind of the culmination of um, a lot of stuff that Grant Morrison was doing during the Justice League, which is still my favorite era of Justice League ever. Uh, to Jeff's point, not flawless. It definitely had some like, I think, uh, final act issues, uh, but uh, goddamn, I remember like going to the comic store every week as a kid and just like being so excited like to get a new issue of Graham Morrison's Justice League because it was like yeah. it just was crackling off the page and yeah. DC 1 million was like it told this really fun story of like doing a future that was not a dystopia which is one I kind of I really enjoy that but yeah. also still had its own problem and I think uh Solaris the living sun what a fucking cool villain um for Superman I just like I it just made me so happy and I every few years I reread it and I'm still 22 years later after the crossover, I'm still amazed at how well it holds up. And yeah, with, with that, I would say also, it's one of those stories, and, and this is what I'm hoping that the next crossover ends up being, is it's one of those that translated fine for all of the different titles that wanted to use it. It's like if, if a writer just wanted to write a future version of their characters and do like a one-off for that, cool. If they wanted to have somebody come back from the future or go to the future and experience their version of the future, cool. And then there were the ones that really tied into the main story and you don't need to read all those other ones, but, uh, and some of them were bad, some of them were good, but it translated well for a crossover in that, in that way, um, which I think that, um, again, I, I want to see what the status quo of the DC universe is. So I, I'd like something that translates across different titles. Uh, yeah. Out. So. I will also say I'm happy that Death Metal was not the worst crossover. I still think that title goes to Identity Crisis, which is still one of the most awful things I've ever had the displeasure to read. I'm still angry about it. And Jeff, yeah. when you and I, when you still live in Austin, when I lived there, I remember we would go to the same comic store and I would like rage about how, like I would buy the issue. Why? Because I'm a masochist, but I would rage right. after reading every issue. And I don't know if you remember, but there was some guy that was like, like sort of friends with Judd Winnick at the time yeah. and he would come in and like he's such a sweet guy and then like me being the dick that I am would just be like shitting all over his comic and shitting all over Judd Winnick <laughs> you know because yeah. I didn't know how to separate the two at the time and he well, would just look so like sad and forlorn when I did that yeah yeah we definitely had people that were connected to that story in Austin <laughs> um, e even if they were just tangentially connected to it that made it so that like we heard about it more than we needed to and I still remember, I mean, Elongated Man's one of my favorite characters. He's like, you know, mm. second, third tier character, whatever. Um, love the character. Love the fact that he's, you know, in a happy relationship. 
or he was. And then that story introduced it and, and had this really touching moment with him talking to, I think it was Firehawk about like his relationship and how it worked and, you know, how everybody else would be into the Flash or Superman. And, and he found the person that, that he loved that also was just into him for him. And then they kill her and she was pregnant <laughs> and, and it just was like, oh my God, why are- No, why? no, no. First they raped her. Oh, yeah. Then they killed her. Oh, geez. Right. So right, right, right. this happened yeah. in a, this happened in DC Con. Yeah. Like it's just like mind-bogglingly like yeah. just atrocious and yeah. insulting. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so I've got one final question for you for you guys. Um, uh, just one word answers of the three of us. Who do you think is the monitor, the anti-monitor, and the world forger? I'll take anti-monitor. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I assume that's like the chaotic one. <laughs> yeah. No, you're Auntie Monitor. The Auntie drag Monitor. Queen. <laughs> yeah, that's a great drag queen name. I like that. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Um, I'll go with the World Forger because I've just got a bunch of ideas, but a bunch of them don't end up really working out. And so it's, yeah. you know, they all fall back down to the dark multiverse. Yeah, you didn't oh, say you were Scott Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that's great because I'm definitely, I think, the monitor on uh, Homo Superior because I'm constantly monitoring what we're trying to do and it always falls apart. So uh, <laughs> that works out really well. Okay, so last, last question. Uh, we have the Trinity, the Holy Trinity in DC. You got Wonder Woman, Batman, or Superman. Uh, I'm Adam, I'm guessing you're Wonder Woman. Damn. Because you're always, you're yeah, always identifying funny. with the... How very well dare you. <laughs> but it's so true. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> So Jeff, do you think you're Superman or Batman? Uh, I'll, I'll go with Superman. And especially in this story, he didn't do a whole lot. He was there at the beginning and then like stuff happened to him. And then at the end, he was smiling and congratulating everybody. And <laughs> I made it through this crossover and that's where I am right now. I'm going to give a nice speech at the end and like, let's move on. So, that's great because I'm definitely Batman because uh, I'm an only child. Uh, not an orphan, thankfully, but I always like to wear dark colors and I'm probably too uh, grim dark for my own good. <laughs> right, yeah, you've got a good lo a long coat too, like the new uh, the the Batman from this one. You just need the you just and need the black a, ring to raise the dead. Yeah, you need some spikes Bitch. on your shoulders. <laughs> I've got I've got both of those, and I also have a little pet Starro I call Jaro. All right, well, uh, this has been our podcast on reviewing uh, Death Metal. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've been a longtime listener, so you get to finally be part of the fun. Love to have you back whenever we're talking about DC books. Jeff, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, not, I mean, not really at this point. Uh, I, you know, I did a thing at the beginning of the pandemic where I was doing social distancing with superheroes and it's like an action figure blog oh. um, that, that I took pictures of action figures social distancing with me while I was going for lonely walks during the beginning of the <laughs> pandemic um, it's on Instagram social distancing with super uh, yeah with superheroes um, so if you want to check that out but I haven't updated in a while um, and that is probably the extent of my creative stuff that I should share for this so well uh, uh I was going to say, it sounds like your Instagram account now has an infinite frontier of options to continue to vote. <laughs> Yikes. And on that, I'm going to end it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we will tag uh, this social distancing with superheroes on our Instagram. Uh, we'll start following you. 
but uh, for Homo Superior, uh, you can obviously listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And please interact with us on Twitter at Homo Superior X and on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. Thank you so much and have a good evening. Bye. Bye.